the years go by, you think of 2018, and it's hard to believe that it's 2018. I know that when I was a kid, my mom told me that by the time the year 2000 would come along, there'd be no more need of cars or anything like that because everybody would be flying through the sky like the Jetsons. And, and I believed her. Um, and yeah, you, you look and, and, and years just fly by. Um, we had a sweet conversation with Natalie last night and we just talked about the new little baby girl that's coming in the next six weeks or so. And, uh, and talked about just how I'll have dates with, you know, with this little girl too. And Natalie and I have lots of dates. We, we do sushi dates all the time. And, uh, and so she said, well, you won't be doing dates with her for a long time because she needs to be with mommy anyhow. And I said, yeah, that's true. But, you know, when she's, you know, like your age, though, it would be just the same as it is for you. And, we started talking, and she said, well, are you, are you going to keep doing dates with me when I'm 19 and, and older? And I said, yes, Natalie, I'll be doing dates with you when you're 19. She said, but when I'm 19, you probably can't even get out of bed. <laughs> and I didn't argue with her. I, I, I thought, like, there's, there's a good chance, the way I feel, that there, that, that could happen. But you just think of how, how quickly time goes by, right? It goes by quickly and 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 you look in scripture and and you see a calling for us to use the gifts that God's given to us in such a way that we use our time well I I read a article from a professor in Denver this last week of of him or a couple weeks ago that just encouraging more laziness because it gives people time to think when they're lazy and not working and not going and it just seemed like that was like the last thing that our culture needs is necessarily more laziness and you look at the text before us and you see anything but that with the apostle paul there's no laziness with him there is a drive to serve the lord there is a drive that's there it's a fuel that's within him that just drives him to passionately take his life and live it for the lord We need to be able to reflect on, on our own lives and look and see how we're using the gifts that God's entrusted us with and say, are, are we doing well with this? With the Apostle Paul, you hear him say things in Scripture like to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He's calling him towards diligence. Be diligent. An exhortation that goes to him as far as being a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Don't be in a place where, where you're living a life in, in, in which there should be shame in the way in which you've taken the time that God has given you. He calls him to rightly divide the word of truth. To take God's word and not be ashamed of the way that he proclaims it, rightly dividing God's word. You see in, in, in Scripture where Paul would say things like, but the things that were gained to me, these I've counted for 
loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The, the, the stuff of this world I just count as, as trash in comparison to the excellencies of Christ, knowledge of Him, living for Him, serving Him. It's all throughout Scripture in which there's this call towards living for Him. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, Everyone who's called by my name, God says, whom I've created for my glory. God's saying, I made you for a purpose. I made you for my glory. Whatever it is that you do in this life, whatever ways in which God has gifted you, whatever career you have or whatever you do throughout your day, it's to be done for His glory. For His glory. You think of whatever occupation that you have and, and, and that knowledge that for, for us, we, we're so quick to identify ourselves with whatever it is that we do. I'm a fireman, mechanic, nurse, doctor, businessman, housewife, mom, teacher, Tom Saint policeman. If you do that, I will call you out on that. Policeman. Don't want to forget the policeman. Um, Angela hits him. Um, whatever it is that God's called you towards, you, you're not a policeman who also happens to be a Christian. Or a mom who also happens to be a Christian. Or a nurse who also happens to be a Christian. You, you're a Christian who also happens to be a policeman. Or a Christian who also happens to be a mom. A Christian who also happens to be a, a nurse or a mechanic or a teacher or a fireman or whatever it is. Our identity is in Christ. We serve Him and we serve Him and we exist for His glory. And we're to do it passionately. We're told in Deuteronomy 6.5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. With all of it. Isaiah 26 verse 8 says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. The desire of our hearts is your renown. The desire of our hearts is that, is that they remember you. That we declare you and your wonders. That is the desire of our hearts. You hear the calling of, of Christ upon us where he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Who was a prophet of man if he gains the whole world and himself is destroyed or lost? Scripture is so clear of this calling in which God calls us to, and it is one in which we are not to hold anything back from him to give ourselves entirely to him. And we find that in the text before us as we approach Acts chapter 20. We see a man who is serving wholeheartedly to the Lord. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself. He embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. There was an uproar that took place. You remember the riot that occurred over the, the 
silversmiths and them, them being upset and all that occurred as we studied it a couple weeks ago. A riot was occurring, an uproar was taking place, and it ceased. So Paul calls the disciples to himself. He doesn't run away. He calls them to himself before going to the next place. And there's little aspects of Scripture that I think that it's important for us not to just pass over quickly, but to look at. And, and I think it's important that you see his heart for the people that he's ministering to. He embraces them. Comes to the disciples. He comes to the Christians. He's about ready to go to Macedonia. And it just takes a moment for Luke to write as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit that Paul, he just embraced them, held them, loved them. And now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. Goes in... Not only does he embrace them, but you see that now when he goes to this other region, he encourages them or exhorts them with many words. This, this love for God's people, this love for the church that brings the Apostle Paul to a place of immediately as he comes upon these people, it's how can I encourage you? How can I exhort you? And it comes forth with many words moves on to macedonia and immediately encouraging the christians with these words throughout the writings of paul we see him encouraging and exhorting people in all kinds of different ways i think of like in in galatians where he's telling them that to live in in the purity of the gospel or that they're not saved by their works and they're not saved by the work of the law but salvation comes through faith in christ and telling them things like i've been crucified with christ it's no longer i who live but christ lives in me encouraging them to have boldness as they preach the gospel encouraging them to trust in god's sovereignty encouraging them to keep their eyes on the cross encouraging them to not grow weary while doing good to not lose heart encouraging them in their Marriages, encouraging them as parents, encouraging them to stir up the gifts that are within them. He's encouraging them constantly how to submit to the government, encouraging them how to love one another, encouraging them in every part of their lives as far as knowing that Christ's return is imminent, encouraging them, constantly encouraging them. And he does it with many words. He stays there for three months, verse 3. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Paul stays there three months, most of his time in Corinth, and now he's about to sail for Syria, and he finds out that there's people that want to attack him, most likely kill him, and so he decides to go through Macedonia instead. So in the midst of the busyness of life, he's taken time to embrace people, to encourage people with many words, to spend three months in one particular location, and to try to avoid being killed when it's at all possible. So he goes a different route. And so Peter of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus, Itzecundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of, of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. Each of these men came from different Roman provinces, most likely representatives of different churches and coming along to send their gifts to Jerusalem. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. 
But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them in Troas, and we stayed where we stayed seven days. And so we're looking at this missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, and it's three months here, days here, traveling here, seven days here. When Luke says we sailed, it indicates that he was amongst those that were traveling. And so in verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. We're, we're delving in into just the life of the Apostle Paul, the life of the early church. One of the first things that you can see here in, in, in verse 7 is, on the first day of the week, this occurred on the first day of the week. It's important for us to see that because what we find here in Scripture is that no longer are they meeting on Saturday. They're not meeting on the Sabbath, but they are meeting now on the first day of the week. You see in Colossians 2 where it says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath or Sabbaths. Verse 17 says, Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ." The idea of the Sabbath was something that was pointing ahead to Christ who was to come. And now that Christ has come, you don't see the mention of, of them meeting on the Sabbath or adhering to the Sabbath anymore. You also see it in, in some of the writings of, of the early church. And this is just a side note. There's so much more scripture that would deal with this. But just some of the extra biblical writings. Ignatius wrote, Let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's day as a festival, the resurrection day, the queen and the chief of all days. So there in the second century, he's saying, keep the Lord's day as a festival, the resurrection day, the resurrection day, the day that he rose again from the dead. Justin Martyr, and also in the second century, said this, on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly because Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. So you hear that in the early, early centuries after Christ rose again from the dead, that they were meeting on Sunday. Another part that you see here is that not only were they meeting on the first day of the week, but the disciples came together to break bread. This is a normal part of what they did. They came together to partake in the Lord's Supper, which we are told to do this as often as we can in remembrance of him. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until, what, midnight. You get the idea that the, the, the people there just loved spending time being taught, loved spending time in God's word. They're there and it's just like, let's, let's continue on until until midnight, we'll just keep going. And he keeps going. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Um, this is encouraging to me. And... The reason why is because people fell asleep even in the Apostle Paul's sermons. <laughs> should be encouraging to you as well because, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I do see though sometimes your spouse is like your best friend there. Like, you know, get you good. I'm watching people flinch and 
being poked and punched and everything else. This guy, young man, probably early teens, sinking into a deep sleep, falls down from the third story. Be encouraged, we only have one story here. <laughs> third story. You, you could imagine this poor young man. I, you, you know, I know, I know, you know what it's like when you want to stay awake so badly. But it's just so hard, especially as it's getting closer towards midnight. I, I think of a time where I was in Vietnam and I was having an allergic reaction to the soap that they use to clean my clothes because I'm very sensitive and I have very sensitive skin. <laughs> I have to use soap with no perfumes or anything like that and it dies. And so I'm like dying with like hives. And so I thought like, take a Benadryl. This was before like a 15-hour session of teaching. Took a Benadryl and, and about an hour into it, I'm like, I am so dumb. Why did I do that? I, I, could not, I, I could not keep my eyes open. It was brutal. I fell asleep in my own sermon. I would say something. <laughs> I would say something and they would translate and my eyes are closing in between like, you know, just even the translation. And some of you guys looked like that on Sunday mornings as well. <laughs> so he continues to midnight. A man is taken up dead. And, and there's been those that have said, well, maybe he didn't really die. This is Luke, a doctor, writing this. He knows when someone's dead. He's taken up dead. But Paul went down and he fell on him and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. And now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. The man is risen from the dead. The boy is risen from the dead. He comes up. They break bread. And they continue to talk. Obviously, no one else wants to fall asleep for sure. But <laughs> you see that there, there is just this, this passion for the things of God. A passion to grow. A passion to learn. I, I mentioned what took place in Vietnam, but I, I think of how, how precious the church is there. Like, I, I would spend, I, I'd get there early, early in the morning and, and teach until late at night. And I, I remember, like, talking about my voice going, I, I was struggling. And to hear these, this group of pastors say, like, can we start earlier tomorrow and go longer? And they went all day. They just living there in a, in a communist country like that and being in a place where they're a part of the underground church and not being taught. They just, they just wanted to learn more than anything. And we find that here within the church, even till daybreak, and he departs. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. I love how the Holy Spirit inspired this. He comes in alive, and they were not a little comforted. They were very comforted. And he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assas, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met, and, and when he met us at Assas, he took him on board and came to Mytilene. And we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite to Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium, and the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. He had already missed the Passover, and now, because people are trying to kill him, 
And now he's doing everything he can to be there in Jerusalem 50 days later for Pentecost. From Miletus, he sailed, he sent to, to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So he passed through, not wanting to go to Ephesus, but he calls for the elders of the church from Ephesus to come and to meet with him. And we had come to them, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. You know the way that I lived among you. You know what my life was like. You know what it looked like as I lived among you. Notice what he says. This is what he, we're told, they knew he always did. Serving the Lord with all humility. Just to begin with. I served the Lord. When I was with you, when I lived amongst you, I served him. My life was given to him. And I served him with all humility. We think of 1 Corinthians 3, 5, where Paul says, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. I'm nothing. God is everything. I serve the Lord, and I did so with all humility, knowing that it's not me. It's not anything I do, it's everything that God does. He gets all the glory. Any good thing that comes, whether I help a child to rise again from the dead or whether someone else is healed or whether I teach till daybreak. I served the Lord with all humility. Just served Him humbly. With many tears. Not only did I serve the Lord with all humility, but I served Him, and you know this, with many tears. Tears. The reason those tears existed was because he loved the people there. He loved them. He hated seeing them fall into sin. He hated seeing them going in directions that, that they ought not to go. He hated seeing them treasuring the stuff of this world more than treasuring the things of God. He hated seeing them come to a place where they were suffering or they had a small view of God or they were in a place of falling into the ways of the world or falling to the enemy, the devil. With many tears. In 2 Corinthians 2 4, it says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you should know the love which I have so abundantly for you. I love you so much that, that there were just tears that were there as I ministered to you. He loved God's people and trials. Not only tears, but trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. You know how I serve the Lord with humility, with tears, and in trials, all kinds of different trials. But how I kept back nothing that was helpful. My heart broke sometimes. I went through incredible trials. I served with humility, but I didn't keep anything back from you. It says, but proclaimed it to you, taught you publicly and from house to house. I never stopped. I, I, I didn't want to hold anything back. When it came to doctrine, I taught you doctrine. 
When it came to the hard things that people don't want to talk about, I taught you the hard things that people didn't want to talk about. It's one of the reasons why at, at our church we go verse by verse through Scripture because I don't want to be there trying to pick what I want to talk about each and every Sunday. It's just, this is the text. This is what we look at. This is what we go through. But to look at it and see, like, this is who God is, and this is what he says, and this is what he calls us towards, and this is what he says that we are like, and this is what he says is in store for those who believe in him, and this is what he says is in store for those who do not. Eternal hell. Paul's saying, I didn't keep anything back from you. I didn't hold back anything. I taught you God's word all through. Passionately. To midnight, to daybreak. For as long as people would be there telling them publicly, I taught you. From house to house, I taught you. Whether it be in a sermon like this or whether going to your house and encouraging you in Scripture, encouraging you in the gospel, wherever it was that I, that I was, I was there to, to not hold back anything that's helpful. Always teaching God's Word. Always encouraging in God's Word. His life was given to serving the Lord. He says, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. There was witnessing that took place, the gospel going forward. And what did it include? It included repentance towards God. It's important for us to see that in Scripture because it's not just Believe in God and, and, and he's got a wonderful plan for your life. There's also repent of sin. Confess those sins, repent of sin to the Lord. And he forgives you. Repentance towards God. And faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in him. He preached the gospel everywhere he could go. And in verse 22 it's, and, and following, it's just precious to me. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. I'm going someplace, and I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. Except, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit testifies that chains and tribulations await me. That means that this calling for the Apostle Paul, this race that he's running, this giving himself entirely to Christ and to the gospel, it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy for him. The race that's before him is not one in any way, shape, or form that's easy. For us as Christians, sometimes we, we, we get to a place of wanting things to be easy, wanting it to go right, feeling that if it's not easy, we should probably get out. We should probably do something different. But that's not what God's called us to. Marriage can be hard. It can be hard. You don't get out of it. Sometimes job is hard. You don't just leave. Sometimes serving the Lord is difficult. You don't just quit. Sometimes fighting sin can be anguishing and we don't stop regardless of how unsuccessful we are. We continue to fight sin. Sometimes studying is difficult. 
You don't just stop. This race that God's called us towards, we run. And you hear Paul here saying, it's not just that marriage is hard, or it's not just that my tests are going to be brutal. It's not just that the job is difficult. It's chains and tribulations await me. I'm going to prison there. I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me, but all I know is I'm going to go to prison, and there's tribulations that are there for me. For us sometimes, if we knew, if we knew that going to a particular place meant that chains and tribulations await us, we would probably try to go into a different direction. And yet if the Holy Spirit is calling us towards this particular thing, then there is no safer place to be. The race that you're to run in this Christian life doesn't mean there's there's not incredible hills that you run up. The question is, is, has God called you towards that? Has God called you to run up that hill? Has God called you to endure in that relationship? Has God called you to serve in that capacity? Has God called you to do the things that he has given before you? Is that what you're called towards? I think of how more and more we live in a generation where people go to work, especially the younger people, and they only want to go if they're passionate about the thing that they're going to. Like, is, is it, am I passionate about that kind of work? And I just look at it and think, I don't think that the early settlers were like passionate about building railroads. Nobody there was just like, man, I just love this. They wanted to bring home money for food and clothing and shelter. They worked. They may have been passionate, hopefully were passionate about Christ. They may be served to his glory. But it didn't mean that it was going to be easy in any way, shape, or form. They worked hard. People run from things as soon as it gets difficult. But what has God called us towards? The biggest question is, what has he called us towards? It's wonderful if you're able to do something that you're passionate about. But it's even better if you do something that God's called you to. Serving him, living for him. I'm going bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Knowing that the things that, not knowing the things that will happen to me, they're only that... The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, Chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. Think of what he's saying here. Think of what the Holy Spirit's saying here. I know that it's going to be brutal. I know I'm going to prison. In prison there, there's no ping pong or watching TV, or learning a new career, which are good things here, right? We're glad that, not ping pong necessarily, but we're glad that people can come out better. But you think about it, this is, this is dungeon. This is difficult. You, you get food because someone brought you food. You're begging for a cloak, some warm clothes to get you through the winter. It's hard. This is what awaits him. But none of these things move him. Nor does he count his life dear to himself. He doesn't look at his life and say, like, I want it to be just like this. 
He's willing to give up everything. It's not his life. It's not his pleasures that matter. I don't count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish my race with joy. I think that most people don't think like that today. The joy comes in being right where God desires for you to be. It doesn't come because it's just the way that you wanted it to turn out in your flesh. God's doing something that is going to be the most to his glory. And even if it's hard and even if change and tribulations await you, it doesn't move you. You don't count your life dear to yourself because you just want to finish your race with joy. And that joy is being right where God has called you to be, being faithful to the things that God's called you towards, and wholeheartedly serving him. I just want to finish my race with joy. The idea of going someplace where it's going to be easy is not what Paul looks for as far as his joy. One of Tasha's and mine and now the kids' favorite place to go is Maui. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go there, right? Um, If you have a bad time in Hawaii, it is your own fault, more than likely. (laughs) You go there and it automatically means relaxation, doesn't it? Like you just, you get off the plane and some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You're coveting right now. But, But like you get off the plane and there's a smell that's just wonderful. And there's pineapple and there's stuff. You just, you just, it's, it just automatically just relaxes you. And, and we'll drive on this, this, this little road going out towards these awesome bamboo forests. And there's this little church that's there on the, the, in the countryside there, this little steeple. And it's out there right by the beach, overlooking the beach. And when I drive by that place, my thought is always, I wonder what it's like to pastor that church. <laughs> I mean, there can't be more than 12 people there because it's so small. Not all that many problems. And then you just study on the cliffs overlooking the water, watching the kids play in the water. I, I'm sure it's not that way for that pastor. He probably have a lot of words for me as he thinks of what life's like for him pastoring that church. But we talked about, like, would you ever want to live here? Would you ever want to move here? And the, the fact of the matter is, no. I, I want to be right where God wants me to be. No matter how much easier it might be there, or no matter how beautiful it is, or whatever else, there is something to being right where God has called you to be. Joy that comes in it. So that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You got a, a tidbit into the life of the Apostle Paul. He's going here and then he's going to go there. He's going to spend three months here and he's going to spend a week there and he's going to travel this way and then they're going to try to kill him. And this is what it's going to be like when he goes the other way and he wants to make it 50 days later to, to Jerusalem and he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Only change and tribulations await him when he gets there. But it doesn't move him. Preaches to midnight, resurrects somebody that fell asleep, continues to daybreak, 
walks with the people so he can spend more time with them. This is what his life looks like. This is what he's doing. There's no laziness. There's no half-heartedness. There's no doing things just because it feels good. He is living his life for the Lord. The ministry which he received from the Lord Jesus. And that ministry is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, that's all of our ministries. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To preach Christ and him crucified. To encourage our brothers and sisters. To encourage one another. To draw near unto the Lord. To spend time with him. To depend upon him. To serve the Lord with all humility. Even with tears and trials. Holding back nothing. Giving ourselves entirely to it. Finishing the race that God's given us. With joy. May God give us the endurance to do that wherever he calls us to. The most joyful place is being right where he desires for us to be so that he is most glorified. And we have the greatest joy of being right where he would want us to be. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the text that's before us this morning. First, a narrative that just shows us the way in which the Apostle Paul lived, the way in which the early church existed, the passion amongst the people to learn of you, to grow in you, the passion of the, of the pastor to not hold back anything from them, to teach publicly from house to house, to encourage and exhort with many words, but to be able to hear the testimony of someone who, who runs a race not counting his life dear to himself. Lord God, if there's some of us here who have just been counting our own lives as way too dear to ourselves, may we not settle for that. Help us to finish our race with joy not wasting our lives, not bearing the gifts that you've given us, but taking them and using them and serving you, running up hard hills through difficult paths, through many obstacles when we're tired and weary and don't feel like we could go on, but depending upon you to enable us to finish this race with joy, testifying, the gospel of the grace of God. There is not anything better that we could testify to than the greatest news that anybody could ever hear, and that is salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. May that message be proclaimed here and throughout our houses, neighborhoods, workplaces, schools that we may proclaim your glory throughout the entirety of this week. We ask this in Jesus' name.